Good morning again and happy Sabbath. It is good to be here, to be back here, and to see you all on this uh, rainy Thanksgiving Sabbath. But we, we have enough reasons to be thankful, right, in spite of the rain or whatever. Even the rain we should be thankful for, because it moistens the soil. And this, this holiday has been rooted in the farming tradition, as I understand, at least here in Canada. There is a, a close connection with farming, and this is the time where the farmers will have had their harvest completed, and they will be coming and thanking God for the blessings and for how wonderful and, and, and generous God is. And we have also reasons to thank God, right? And so this morning, as we study this text in Scripture, I want, to keep that, I want us to keep that in our minds, that we have enough reasons. We have much more reasons to thank for than we have to wish for. Then we have to ask for. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are so wonderful. You are an awesome God. You are the one who uh, took time to create us, to prepare this planet for the entrance of man into this planet. And then, Lord, you have fashioned us to your likeness, into your image. And here we are, Lord. We are so thankful that in spite of the entrance of sin, to this planet, in spite of sin having corrupted the human heart, there is so much beauty to contemplate. There is so much beauty to be thankful for. And we want to thank you, Lord, for all your mercies. And Lord, this morning, as we open up Scripture, help us be able to listen to your voice. I ask, Lord, that you may cleanse me from all my unrighteousness, that you may use me as your instrument, that every word that I'll say may be uh, purified by the fire of your Holy Spirit. That the message may come across as a message that is encouraging and challenging us to live a life that is according to your will. I ask you these blessings in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 How was your week? Good. For some it was good. For others it was great. Okay. <laughs> and for others maybe they're still thinking about it. Well, even when we have challenges, it's always good, right? We fought a lot of rain on the way here, but it was a safe trip. And so we thank God for that. And uh, I was thinking about this topic of thanksgiving. And like I said, there is always much more to be thankful for. If you really stop and pay attention, there is always a lot more to be thankful for than there is to ask for. But sometimes we spend so much time asking and asking and asking. And then we don't even look back to realize that the Lord has already helped us on a certain a prayer request we had offered. And then we miss, we miss the opportunity of thanking God for what He has done. And so here, are my, here is my word of encouragement. That every day when you, when you, pray, when you pray your prayers, uh, just remember to stop. Right? Stop. Step back and look at your life and look at what the Lord has done. And where He has brought you from. And I'm sure there will be lots to be thankful for. I, uh, I was thinking of something related to the experience of David. And, and the text we read this morning, the text that Brother Scott read this morning, is part of this overall experience that I'm going to talk about this morning. But David, I believe that David could have gone down in history as the greatest of the greatest of the greatest of the Jewish people. 
Now he was a great king. And in fact as you read scripture you see that God. When God is rebuking a certain king. Because they are not acting according to God's will. God will always say. You have not acted according to my will. You have not acted according to the standard of David your father. You have not been a good king as David has been. So David is always the standard. In spite of his sins, in spite of his faults, in spite of, his, of the valleys in his life, David is the standard. And David was someone who killed bears and who killed lions. David is someone that even though he was the youngest and the weakest in his family among his brothers, he was the one who defeated Goliath the Philistine. David was great and eventually he was anointed king. And he had to fled the persecution of Saul because Saul was jealous of him. And God protected David in such a way that he was preserved to eventually take over the throne. And David became king. He was crowned king. He was sat on the th in the throne. And David could have gone down in history as the greatest of all had he been able to build a temple. But David had this desire in his heart that he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And everybody knew about it. David had all the plans. He had all the architectural draws, drawings. He didn't have to hire uh, an architect from afar. He had everything ready, prepared. And so David shared with prophet Nathan. He said, you know I have this burden in my heart that I want to build a house for the Lord. I live in a house of cedar. Now today we live in, in wooden houses, right? The frame is wood. Uh, but I'm not sure it's cedar, is it? I don't think it is. Some people have cedar fences, right? They spend a little more and, and build a, a fence in cedar. But the, the, the framing of the house, that's not cedar. And, and on top of that, okay, we have drywall and we have brick. But David said, I live in a house of cedar, which was, and it still is, very expensive. Meanwhile, the Lord does not have a house. I want to build a house for him. And so Nathan the prophet listened to David say that. And Nathan the, the prophet was all excited about it. And he turned to David and said, yes, go forward, go for it. The Lord be with you. The Lord will bless all the efforts of your hand. And it didn't take long. That same night, that very night when Nathan got home, the spirit of the Lord came to Nathan and said, you, gotta, you have a work to do. You got to go back and say to David that you said that on your own. I never told you to say that to David. So go back and fix that. You got to go back and tell David that he is not the one building the temple. His son will build it. His posterity will be in charge of it, but not him. And so did Nathan. Nathan went back and told David, David King, I have a word from the Lord to you. And so he spoke to David everything that the Lord had spoken to him in regard to David not being the one building the temple, but rather Solomon, his son. Now, what could have David done? He could have called his guard and said, this man is, is not a prophet of God. He says one thing, then he comes back and says something different. Not only different, he says the very opposite of what he had just said. So take this man and, and kill him. David could have done that. David could have uh, confronted Nathan. But here is what David said. Here is what David did, rather. Please open your Bibles to the book of Chronicles. First Chronicles, chapter 17. 
First Chronicles chapter 17, Samuel, Kings, and then Chronicles. First Chronicles 17, and verse, beginning in verse 16. <clears throat> and this I tell you, this is some, some, something, rather, sorry. This is something really moving, really moving, when I see the attitude of David here. First Chronicles 17, beginning in verse 16. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, Lord? Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight. O God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come, and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree. O Lord God, what more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant. O Lord, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. So David's attitude was not one of uh, pride, was not one of confrontation. He didn't turn to Nathan and confronted him. He never turned to Nathan and said, now you're lying. He accepted what Nathan said as being the true word coming from God. And then David says, who am I, Lord? Who am I that you have done so much for me? Who am I, who is my household, that you have done all this for us? You have brought us this far. And you have not only brought us this far, you have promised everything you have promised in, in, in your word for us and for my family. Who am I? There is no God like you. And so, my friend, I'd like to invite you today to stop, step back, and do as David did. Because sometimes we find ourselves in the, in the hustle of life, trying to accomplish things, trying to get things. And because we may be uh, struggling for things that we don't even need, maybe we are running after things that the Lord hasn't even prepared for us, hasn't even planned for us. We find ourselves so disappointed. And we look at God and say, Lord, you are not helping me. When that would be so uh, ungrateful because God has done so much for us already. You see, I am an immigrant to this country, right? And I know, and my wife does, that when we were thinking of coming to this country, we submitted it to God's will. And God showed us, at least on three occasions, very, very clearly, that it was His plan for us to come here. And so after that, we were absolutely convinced that we should come. But it was not without challenges. It was not without difficulties. But when I look back now, 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago, and I see how God has guided our lives, I realize that we, we always have so much to be thankful for than to be running after the wind. And so I want you to stop and to look back. And to realize how much the Lord has done for you. 
And to realize that in spite of everything that may have happened between last Thanksgiving weekend last year and this Thanksgiving weekend. However much may have happened in your life. How may, however many disappointments you have had. Maybe you have had losses in your family. Maybe you have lost your employment. Maybe some of your plans have not gone, gone forward. Maybe someone has betrayed you. Maybe someone has disappointed you. Maybe a family member has let you down. Maybe marriages have been broken. Maybe children have left their parents. Maybe there are people who have stopped talking to you. Maybe you're looking for a place to live and you can't find one where you can have peace of mind. In spite of all of that, I am absolutely convinced that you have something to be thankful for. Because David could have complained with Nathan, he could have complained with the Lord, but he rather said, Lord, who am I? And if you think about it, we are nothing. We are nobody. But the Lord has been merciful enough to raise us to where we are today. And there was a time where maybe you and I were, were groping in the dark trying to find light. And the Lord has been so merciful that through the holes of the, the conspiracies and fabrications of the enemy. Through the holes in the deceptions that the enemy has thrown our way. Light has shone. And we have been brought into God's marvelous light as the Bible says. He has delivered us from darkness. He has brought us light and he has allowed us to live in this light. And so David recognizes that the Lord has been good. And then after a while when it, it kind of sinks in that he's not the one really doing the work of building the temple. He understands that it's going to be his son Solomon that the Lord has appointed to such a task. He calls Solomon and he gives Solomon all the plans, all the drafts. All the provisions, he tells Solomon that all the provisions have been, he has saved a lot for that. David personally has saved for the project of building the temple. And he passes it all on to Solomon. And then in chapter 28, as we read this morning, First Chronicles chapter 28, beginning now in verse 20. Daniel turns to Solomon. And he says, 1 Chronicles 28 verse 20, And David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of good courage, and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you, until we have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And you for all manner of workmanship. Uh, sorry. And every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship. For every kind of service. Also the leaders and the people will be completely at your command. One might wonder why would David say be strong. And be courageous when Solomon is way younger than he is. We normally look at those who are younger. Of young people. Those who are in their 20s or the 30s. As being at the prime of their strength. 
are being at the prime of their manhood, when they're a man or their womanhood, I don't think that's a word, is it? But at the prime of their strength. But David turns to Solomon and says, be strong and of good courage. And maybe we cannot realize how much young people go through. Maybe we cannot truly evaluate how much uh, challenging life is for young people living today even. And so here is something I'd like to encourage our church here in Belleville to do. Not that we, we're not doing that, but to, to really encourage you to do that more, even more uh, consciously. To support the younger people in the church. We may not have many young people here in this church. There may be other churches in the GTA have. But we encourage them because they are not always as strong as we may think they are. They're not always as, as uh, secure and, and sure of what the role is. And at certain times in their life, they really, really, really need our support. And so that's why David looks at his son, even though he's at the prime of his strength. And David says, be strong. Be of good courage, because the Lord will be with you. And there is something that David says, the Lord, my God, will be with you. David knew whom he was talking about. David had an intimate relationship with the Lord to the point where he could say, the Lord God, my God, the one who has empowered me to kill a bear and to kill a lion, the one who has empowered me to defeat Goliath, my God will be with you. The one who has preserved my life from the hands of Saul, my God will be with you. But then in verse 1 of chapter 29, he turns to the, the older ones. He turns to the assembly. He turns to the leaders, to the officials, to the officers. He turns to the older people and he says this, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, he is young and experienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for men, but for the, the Lord God. And so David looks at them and says, my son is young and experienced. In other words, David is saying, I really, really count on you. I need to count on you. I don't know how much longer I will live. And in fact, not too long after this, David passed away. And so I need you to give my son support because he's young and inexperienced. And this is the appeal I just made to our church here. To those who are maybe older than the younger. Help them, support them, love them. Know that they are not as secure and sure as we may think or strong as we may think they are. But at the same time, David says... He has been chosen by God to be in charge of this work. And so sometimes we must also recognize that the Lord is empowering the younger people. And we must give them the opportunity to work. We must give them the opportunity to shine. We must give them the opportunity to blossom, to bloom into someone who will be mature and able to do God's work. And so the Lord has chosen him. And him alone. But then finally there is something that David says. He says. The work is great. Now if you look at your Bible. Or if you look at the text up there on the screen. Why does David say. 
that the work is great. What is the reason he says the work is great? Thank you. Thank you, Marvin. It's right there. The work is great because what? Because the temple is not for men, but for the Lord. That's what made the work great. Because it was not for men, but for the Lord. And so, it was not, that it, it was not going to be a great work because of the amount of, of uh, concrete or the cedar at the time, the amount of, of material that they had to bring. It was not going to be great because of the amount of silver and gold and pearls and everything that we're bringing. It was not going to be great because of the magnitude of the project. It was not going to be great because it was going to be a large building. It was great because it was not for men, but for the Lord God. And so whatever we do, Whenever we do something for the church, whenever we do something for the, for the gospel, we're not doing that for men, we're doing that for God. But it only makes sense, it only makes sense when you have a personal relationship with that God. That will come to the point where you can say like David said, the Lord God, my God, He will be with you. This temple, some versions say the palace. Right? Because it was going to be so, so magnificent, so majestic. It was not simply a temple. The Bible says it was a palace. It was not a palace for men, but a palace for God. And so we'll come to the point where we'll say, The Lord, the palace is of the Lord. And the Lord of the palace is someone I know personally. And so I ask you today, do you know Him? Do you know the Lord of the palace personally? Can you say as David said, the Lord God, by the way, my God. The Lord God, by the way, my God is the Lord of this palace, is the Lord of this temple. Do you know Him personally? Do you, do you know Him, the one who can make your religion become something that is living, a living experience? Rather than just a set of rules you have to follow. Do you know Him? Do you know the Lord of the palace? I invite you to look at Him today. Maybe you know Him already. Maybe you have had an experience with Him. But I tell you, you must know Him. You've got to know Him personally. You've got to know Him personally, not only because the pastor preaches so, not only because the elder told you to, not only because your parents raised you in the church, not only because other people are saying that, but maybe you don't want to go along with it. You have to know Him personally. He must be your Savior. He must be your Lord. He is the Lord of the palace. And He is the one why we come here for. It's for no other reason. It's not for men. It is for Him. And so I ask you again, do you really know Him? Have you experienced Him? There was a man... There was a man who learned to know him. And when I think about this man, he was the first person, the first person to claim the benefits of the blood of Jesus Christ that was being shed on the cross. 
Now you may think, well, many people, pastor, have claimed the benefits of the blood of Jesus the moment they, they slaughtered an animal. At the moment an animal was slain, they were claiming the blood of Jesus. They were shedding the blood of the animal. The blood of the animal was being shed, and they were claiming the forgiveness of Jesus, because that animal pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus. And that is true. But I'm talking about the actual, the real blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. There was one man who was the first to plead the benefits of that blood. Do you know who that man was? It was the thief on the cross. It was the thief on the cross. Someone who was able to tell the difference between whom Jesus was and whom the crowd was saying he was. Someone to even, who even though he was up there hanging on the cross in his last hours of life, he was able to claim the benefits of the blood of Christ. Not out of pity, because pity doesn't save anyone. But because he saw in Jesus the Savior. He made Jesus the Lord of his palace. The Lord of his life. And he asked Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And that prayer was so simple, but yet so true. It was so simple, but yet so sincere. That Jesus turned to him and said, yes, I can guarantee you today. I promise you today. Be assured today that you will be with me in paradise. And so I ask you again. Have you known Jesus like the thief on the cross knew him? Have you come to know Jesus personally as the Lord of your life. Jesus the one who was hanging there on the cross. Whose sweat turned into blood. Blood was dripping out of his forehead. And that blood would roll down his forehead. Down his brown and down his cheek. And all the way down to his body and his feet. And finally reach the ground. And while the whole crowd was uh, cursing Jesus. And saying that he deserved that. That if he had really power, he would have come off the cross. And saved not only him, but them as well. And then they would believe him. While they were all doing that, priests, nobles, rulers, high priests, Roman soldiers, Christ's depositors, the Pharisees. There was one man who used to be a criminal, but who decided to give his life to Jesus right there. He recognized who Jesus was. And so my question today is this. Have you known him? Have you experienced, experienced him? Many people have said that Jesus is the reason why they live. Many people tell you stories that Jesus has saved them. Many people tell you stories that Jesus healed them. Uh, two weeks ago on a Thursday... Two weeks ago, I was feeling really bad. It's been, I tell you, it's been probably 10 years that I've had a throat infection. And I, I normally don't have those things. And I was gearing up to preach there in bankrupt. I had eight nights to speak. And then my throat was infected. There was an, an infection, an inflammation. And the first night and the second and the third nights, the first weekend I was able to get through. But then it got, got worse. And on the Friday... I was claiming and praying to the Lord, Lord pleading, Lord please help me. Because the next day I would have to start speaking for five nights straight. And so I'm saying, Lord if this is what you want me to do, please heal me. 
And I'm sharing this just to tell you that the Lord is near. The Lord is nigh, as the Bible says. And He's willing to heal us. And I felt physically. You know when, when, uh, when uh, Paul, when Paul was blind because of the brightness of that light on the road to Damascus. The Bible says that when he got to Damascus, a man called uh, Ananias came to, to work with him, to pray for him, and to baptize him. And the Bible says that after Ananias prayed, do you remember what the Bible says that Paul felt? He felt like what? Scales coming off his eyes. And that's pretty much like I felt, how I felt. I felt like those, that mucus, that thing was just getting off my throat. And it was all going. I physically felt that I was pleading to the Lord. And so you may hear these stories. This is not the only one. There are many more incredible stories of how God heals people. People who have been healed from cancer. People who have been healed from terminal diseases. And you look and you hear those stories and you say, uh, I have never experienced something as powerful as that. But I tell you, You've got to know Him personally. I encourage you to experience, experience Him in your life. Because that's what's going to make the difference. It's pretty much going to be like the man I met some time ago. His name is not Paul, but we're going to call him Paul. And Paul is a young man, probably in his 40s. Uh, he's not 50 yet. After, you know, after I turned 50 and I... I Cross the barrier of 50. Anyone younger than 50 seems young to me. So anyway, this is a young man in his 40s <clears throat> who has a disabled child. His child, his daughter is 23 years old. But she's uh, this, this tall. And uh, every day she, he changes diapers on his daughter eight times a day. And he cooks for her. And he feeds her on the mouth. And he stays with her. And he takes her out every day for a for sun bath. And he takes her every day out even during the winter. Because she needs fresh air. And he looks after her as an angel. And I went to visit this man. And he showed me the, the physical challenges she has. And I was moved when I saw that. But this man said, told me his story and he said how unfortunately his wife left him and for reasons that it doesn't matter, I, I won't say here. But he was telling his story and I was listening to that story and he told me two things that really impressed me. Two things that made me think of this prayer of David there, who am I Lord? And he said, Pastor, there are two things that I'll never say. One is, I will, never, I will never say anything negative about my ex-wife. Because she was a blessing while she was here. And she shared this burden with me every day of her life. And so I have nothing negative to say about her. <clears throat> and I told him, and I didn't hear you say anything negative about her in our conversation. And he said, and you will never hear me say anything negative about her. It was a blessing while it lasted. And my daughter, I tell you. My daughter is the angel that God placed in my life to bring me down to my knees, to bring me down to the ground, to keep, me, to keep my feet on the ground. This is an angel that doesn't speak. This is an angel that depends on me for just 
everything you can imagine. But she's an angel. She's not a curse in my life. She's not a burden. She's the person whom God brought to my life to draw me closer to Him. When I looked at that man, when I looked at that story, when I looked at that reality, I said, Who am I, Lord, that you have been so good to me? Who am I, Lord, that you have blessed me so much? And so, my dear friend, this is the Lord I'm talking about. This is the one who wants to make a difference in your life. And if you have not met him personally, as this man has, if you have not met him personally, as many have, as David knew him, this is my God. I invite you to have this personal relationship. I invite you to experience God. I invite you to start talking to Him. And He will talk to you in return. May God bless you today and always as we consecrate and reconsecrate our lives to Him. Being thankful for what He has done and knowing that His plan for our lives is something that will eventually bring us into His kingdom. Amen.